Hey, <laughs> we can make this, buddy. My name is Dr. Brendan McCarthy. I am the Chief Medical Officer of Protea Medical Center in Chandler, Arizona. Thank you so much for tuning in to my podcast. I always start my podcast the same way. I probably always will. I don't know. We'll see. But I like to always let you know that I cite what I do. I don't come up here and just start rambling things. I don't just give you just my opinion. I let you know where my opinion originated. It's so important, especially for today's material I'm going to go over. I'm going to go talk about bias in medicine, which is, it sounds really benign term, bias. It is not. There's so much heartache that it causes. And I know this because I've seen it. And um, a lot of you are outraged by it and you have every right to be outraged by it. So when I make a presentation, like when I tell my patients like I, 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 we did a podcast last time on thyroid. We just went out with that one. And, and, and when I tell a patient, I think that I need to increase their thyroid, say. The T3, the active hormone was too low and I think it needs to be higher. Why? Why do I want it higher? What's the risk of it? Why am I saying that? And so I show them. I show them the research. I educate them. You make the decision. When you're with your doctor, you are the one that decides, not them. We don't make the decision, you do. And that decision deserves to be educated, not biased educated, but truly educated, as unbiased as possible. So look in the descriptions of this video. I'm realizing I was talking to my producer, my, my, my citations for these are too long for the description. There's not enough space in there. So I'll, we'll, we'll, I'm going to open up another website. Uh, we'll make that live soon enough. And that'll have citations specific to each episode. So that way you can see it. And those of you who are physicians who, who listen to this or, or, or watch it or, or anybody who's into the scientific side of it, I just encourage you to read those or just look at them. You know, um, And when you look at them, realize I did read all of them. I did, and you deserve someone to do that for you too. You look at it like, that's a lot to read. I know it's a lot to read, but it's something I'm, I, like to, I like to do, you know? Um, it's important that you find someone that likes to research and be prepared for your appointment, as well as your podcasts and where you get your information from. So without that said, with that said, excuse me, let me just delve into the material of bias. Um, I was speaking to my producer about this and, and I read a lot of the comments on our videos and then on our shorts and our Instagram uh, reels and, and I hear you and, and I listen to it and I see a lot of the frustration that we experience as patients rather experience when they're uh, subject to physician bias. And physician bias is when a doctor walks in the room with a preconceived notion of what they're going to do or what's going on with you. <sighs> It causes so much harm when the doctor walks into the room preloaded with how they're going to treat you. And so many of you suffer through it, and it's valid. Um, I'm going to tell you a story about something I experienced in practice and, and what that was like for me as the physician. Um, I had a patient presenting to clinic with adrenal insufficiency. His lab work showed his cortisol levels were like three. And they should be, you know, 16, 17. In the morning, they were three. The guy was just basically burned out. His adrenals, he overworks. He, he drank 60, six zero cups of coffee a day. Dead serious. 60, six zero. 
so, so much. When people say coffee is not good for you, one or two cups, fine. And actually, the problem with coffee is not the actual coffee. The problem with coffee is the sugar and the creamer and like all the other junk that gets thrown into it. You know what I mean? If you're gentle with your coffee, you don't throw garbage in it. It's not that bad for you. Uh, so he. I needed to treat his adrenal insufficiency. So, you know, the traditional prescription we will do with that is one of the things we would do is hydrocortisone. So I'm prescribing hydrocortisone, you know, the, the standard dosing. So, you know, he's feeling anxious and he feels like his heart's pounding out of his chest. He had a uh, halter monitor put on to see if he's having, you know, any irregularities of the EKG, nothing. Everything's fine. Everything came back normal. There was one doctor who wanted to put a stent in him. I'm dead serious. And the patient is probably going to watch this and be like, I know, that's crazy. It was crazy when they wanted to do that. Remember that? I remember being on the phone with him. He just called while he was in the parking lot of the, of the, of the cardiologist, and he called, and my patient care coordinator was like, his patient's on the phone. He really needs to talk to you. I was like, yeah, hey, I got him. So I got on the phone with him. He's just like, they want to put a stent in me. Guy's cholesterol is beautiful, perfect, you know? But he was just having all these things and couldn't figure it out. And so this is where the bias stepped in. Because right now I just started telling you the story and I, I always realize I'm avoiding the bias part. I know what hydrocortisone does to a human body. I know when I dose it correctly, I know exactly what it'll do. It doesn't create anxiety. It does not create heart palpitations. It does not create debilitating anxiety. He felt that it did. My patient felt that taking hydrocortisone was causing him to have all these symptoms. He was not on super physiological dosing. Multiple labs showed me that the dose I was doing was perfect. No problems. He insisted it was that. My calendar is not super busy. I try never to see too many patients in a day because I know that will make me more biased because the busier you are as a doctor, the more shortcuts you make, the more you bias your brain. Don't do it. You know, you, gotta, you can't see too many patients. It's not a numbers game. It's more about the person in front of you. So... But him, I was like, no, nah, it's not hydrocortisone, you're wrong. In my mind, I said that. If I did act on that, and I did tell him he's wrong, and didn't really listen to him or try and explore it with him, he would have either continued with the hydrocortisone and continued having his anxiety attacks, or he would have discontinued the hydrocortisone and stopped seeing me as a patient, maybe. The thing is, is... What ended up happening is that we took the hydrocortisone out and we started experimenting with possibilities that this might be a filler that his hydrocortisone prepared with. One of the brands of hydrocortisone he was prescribed had a filler in there he was reacting to. At the end of the day, that's what happened. There was a filler in there that caused him to respond like that. And that is not super common, but it's been documented. It's so incredibly rare, I never knew about it. The medicine I was prescribing him, the active ingredient was not a problem. The carrier, the, the, the packaging, the, the filler in the damn pill was causing him to have these symptoms. I remember being frustrated when he kept insisting it was his hydrocortisone. And I remember being like, God, dude, it is not. We're going to be looking at this, but it's not this. It's got to be this. we got to look at these things. What else could it be? And I'm going down my road over here. And the back of my mind, I was like, no, you got you to gotta investigate this because he needs to be heard. And I know this, even though I just didn't believe it could be that at all. 
I need, you know, I know this. I know you need to explore when your patient says it's this, I believe it's this. You can validate them. You know, even though you think this is not possible, you can't invalidate them. That's something I learned early on because um, over the years I've seen this, you know, it's so fast where people get invalidated. Um, I remember, remember autism and vaccines? <laughs> that's, a, that's a light subject. Let's, <laughs> that's not controversial. Um, I remember listening to a radio show years ago and, uh, you know, 2012, I think it was. And there's this group of people on who are just, you know, tearing apart the idea that autism were caused by vaccines. And they were so dismissive to these parents. This is important that I word this correctly. So let me back up a little bit more on this autism thing real fast. Up until the 1990s, the prevailing opinion in medicine was that autism was caused by maternal neglect. So children who are born to parents who are, the children being born autistic, parents, the mother was basically being thought that you're neglecting, that's why your child has autism. And then in the early 2000s, there was such an explosion in diagnoses there was so little research and so little um, regard or understanding, understanding given to these parents. And many of them were blamed. This is a true story. And these children were being born. And if you're a parent and your child is born with a special need, there's nothing that will motivate you to try and figure things out than that. Having a child with special needs... Um, is profoundly stressful. And when your care provider is not providing care, but they're providing judgment, and they're not giving you any answers, what are you left to do? You wander the wilderness trying to figure out, what can I help? What could this be? What, where could there be a solution to help me with my child? What can I do? And there are some good therapies out there for children with special needs with autism. There are. There's also a lot of bad actors in the field. So these parents will grab onto things to help them understand because they need something. And regular medicine was just first telling them it's your fault that your kid is this way because you neglected them. And then they would tell them your opinion on this, anything you try and figure out is wrong. I'm going to tell you why you're wrong. The problem in there was that no point was the doctor or the medical industry trying to understand the patient in front of them with empathy. These people who believe that autism was caused by vaccines didn't need to be dismissed outright. They need to be understood and listened to and heard. One of the skills I learned uh, in being successfully married, <laughs> when my wife comes to me with a problem or a concern she has, she does not need me to solve that immediately. And it has been one of the better things to do is to sit back and listen to her, and give her space to communicate and not try and rush in with answers and solve things. I need to sit back and listen and be present. Sometimes she doesn't want me to give her an answer. Sometimes she just needs to communicate with me. It's the same thing being a doctor. Sometimes the most important thing I do is sit back and truly listen 
Don't insert myself at all and try and solve it immediately. Sometimes you have to solve it immediately. The person's bleeding. You got to fix that. You know, there's medicine that needs to be practiced on the fly. I got that. But complex things, you got to sit back. You got to listen. You know, set your biases aside. You need to truly listen and not try and solve the problem immediately. You need to validate the person in front of you and hear them and fully understand what they're going through. Why isn't this done in clinic? Why is it that doctors, when you walk into the doctor's office with anxiety and you're a woman, you're dismissed immediately? Why is it when you're a woman and you present to the clinic with, you know, and, and with pain, you're dismissed? That happens. I know it. Why is this dismissal happening with people? Um, or weight gain. Going with the weight gain, you're like, doctor, I keep gaining weight. They just tell you just lose weight, stop eating as much. Why is that bias happening? There's a few things that make our minds think the way we think. I'm not going to get too much into this, but just the basics of it is that, you know, you walk in with your doctor, a lot of times they're trying to make mental shortcuts immediately. They're trying to do quick pattern recognition with you to get you in and out of the office because they have spent too many days seeing too many patients and their neural pathways are starting to fuse up. They can't think creatively anymore. They can't let their mind be still and fully see a pattern there. So they're going to throw you into a quick pattern the fastest way they can. You're in, you're out. You're depressed. Here's your SSRI. You know, looks like a skin infection. Here's your antibiotic. You know, but they're not thinking this through. Your doctor needs to set the bias aside. And so a lot of times when they're rushing, they make that problem. You know, other things is going to be like emotional motivation for the patient. Sometimes they get triggered by things. The doctor gets triggered in the room. You've seen it. I mean, how many times I've had patients tell me stories where their doctor's yelling at them, their other physicians have yelled at them before. Who yells at their patient? Who? If your doctor ever yells at you, don't see that doctor anymore. It doesn't matter what they're yelling at you for. You will never, you, I'm yelling now. <laughs> no, just, <laughs> don't, don't let your doctor yell at you, okay? That appointment is yours. It's about you, not about them. Other times they're going to have, you know, social influences in their mind. They're going to be thinking about things socially. You know, they have their own cultural biases, you know. They just do. Your doctor's not supposed to have that. Another one is gender bias. That's huge. Huge. And I'm not just saying because men bias against women, but women bias against women. And then there's men bias against men and, and women bias against men as well. There are gender biases in there. The most common one that's causing the most damage right now in literature really is the bias against women. And that's, that's true. That is a truth. How do you address that? Your doctor walks in the room with a bias. <laughs> How do you address it? And do you need to? You know, if you're going into the doctor with urinary tract infection, yeah, they, you shouldn't be biased against. You know, I've just dealt with a woman who keeps getting, uh, she feels she keeps getting urinary tract infections. I'm not sure if that's really what's happening with her, you know? And she's been going to urgent care on the regular. And I mean, now she's on like 14 days of antibiotics and no results. I'm like, I don't think this is really what's happening here. This is not what's going on with you. This looks, you know, walking into the clinic and them just saying, oh, you have this, here's your antibiotic is not a good solution too. Sometimes, yeah, you don't need to worry too much about the bias, like if they're suturing you up maybe. So how do you deal with your doctor's bias? Can you deal with it? We know, physicians know there's so many articles written for us, by us, about us, about our biases. We know this. And and I was getting ready for this by reading a lot of them. And, and, It's frustrating 
because we're aware of it, but it's not being instituted, not being taught in medical school. And it's not something that's really talked a lot about in, in the industry. It's just articles are published, but there's no action truly on it. This is one article by Emily Paulson, which will be in the citations. And uh, she quoted Dr. Denise Davis. She's the clinical professor of medicine at University of California, San Francisco. She's also a faculty physician in San Francisco VA. Um, and she said about gender bias, she said, uh, biases are not moral failings. They're habits of mind. And I hear that, but I don't agree with that. You know, I want to hit another quote on that that I like a lot. You know, this is one of my favorite quotes. Do the best you can until you know better. Then when you know better, do better. And that's Maya Angelou. The thing about it is, is that when you know you have a problem and you keep doing it anyway, that is definitely a moral shortcoming. So when your doctors go into clinic and they have bias against you for being a woman or for your political background or for your symptoms for love of pete they'll have biases against you for your symptoms and if you're a physician you know exactly what i'm talking about we can't have biases against patients you know i i believe in setting yourself aside as a physician before you walk in the room with your patient you set yourself aside you know when you walk in the room you should not be thinking about the therapy you should not be thinking about anything just the person in front of you that's it. And then you build it from there. The real problem with bias, going back to my earlier patient who was drinking 60 cups of coffee and reacting to hydrocortisone. He wasn't drinking 60 cups of coffee. I was giving him hydrocortisone, by the way. He's, he'd gotten it down. I'm just saying he's a stress case. Um, if my bias held, and I walked in the room with my bias that I caught myself and stopped myself from executing, if I went in there and was biased against him and said, you're wrong, it's this, I would have alienated him. That's the problem with bias. And, and I see this with patients. They give up on medicine because they feel so unheard and judged for their symptoms. And the therapies they're given don't work. And their frustration with it, they're judged on that frustration. That's true. So the real problem with bias is that it alienates people from medical care. And by doing that, you throw out the baby with the bathwater because there still is good in medicine. If you think about it, let's go back to like that anxiety case. Um, a patient presents to clinic with anxiety. I can immediately dismiss her or I can run labs to understand her. A patient who presents to clinic with depression, I could write them an SSRI straight away or I can run labs to understand why. What is their depression rooted in? What started it? What caused it? Is it really serotonin or, or is it something else going on? There's a lot of other pathways that lead to depression. We know this. Why not run the lab work to understand what was the cause? So bias is real. Physicians know that there's bias occurring in medicine. Patients know there's bias occurring in medicine. How do you, how do you deal with it? You know, if you're the doctor, it behooves you to spend time to figure out whether you have bias walking in the room and then how to control for it. You know, there's, there's a checklist of things to do. There's ideas of like, you know, recognize your bias. Understand you have a bias. Before you walk in the room, if you're already judging the case, if you walk in the room and you're with the patient, you're judging the case as it goes, you're judging on anything other than the data in front of you, the objectifiable data in front of you, just judging on other things, other patterns, there's a bias there. There's quizzes you can take. There's the uh, um, online tools like the implicit association test. You can do that. That Harvard University put that one out there. You can check yourself there 
and then and then the other part of it is set yourself up for success as a physician. Stop scheduling yourself a patient every 10 minutes. What are you doing? Why are we doing that? Stop. Schedule your patients like a normal person. See them over time. Rushing a patient will create bias. And then, you know, try to understand your biases, where they come from. You know, if you have gender bias as a physician, it may be something you should be exploring. You know? Because it's definitely not happening just in medicine. It's probably happening in your personal life too. If you have a bias against certain people or certain groups of people, that's something you need to address as a physician. Because you can't treat people if you're already biased against them. So that's another important area. Another one is to be aware and sensitive to the bias that the patients you're seeing experience. Patients come in my office and they have bias against medicine because of what they've gone through. And I would say my empathy has been the open door for them to communicate and allow me to become more successful in my practice. And when I say successful, I mean get better outcomes with my care. That's success. That is what success is. So setting aside your bias, learning about your bias, understanding you have a bias, you know, these are all important aspects, the steps of becoming a good physician. Um, if you're a patient, what do you do? It's sad. It's sad. Because, you know, the, the thing I keep going back to with these podcasts is how do you, how do you as the patient advocate for yourself? in this world of medicine the way it is now. The model that's out there, the insurance-based model, it, it, it kind of pulls away from you your empowerment. It really does. You don't have many choices out there. I believe to be open with your communication with your doctor. You know, let them know what you're experiencing. Be clear with them. And then if they're not going to listen to you, you have to discharge that doctor and find a different one. And that's the only solution I can keep giving you right now. You know, but I can say this. You do deserve to be heard. You deserve to have a doctor that doesn't judge you. That's what we're, we're not supposed to do that. We won't do a good job if we do. So I hope that was helpful. And please like, subscribe, and share. You know, the more that you like, subscribe, and share, the more I know this material matters and to continue down these roads. I do read your comments. I do try and respond to them. Um, thank you so much for tuning in, and I'll see you at the next one.